right, we are back for episode three of the College 12-Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn, the senior editor of the College Wires. You can see all of my work on collegesportswire.usatoday.com. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. Uh, big week, uh, especially as we sit down to record this. Uh, we, we have another round of the College World Series Four teams left, but before we get into the four teams that are still remaining, I uh, just wanted to do a quick recap of bracket one and bracket two. And obviously, bracket one at TCU, Oral Roberts, Virginia, Florida. Uh, you know, looking at this series of, of teams, these, these four, you know, Oral Roberts was the, was the team that was playing with house money, really a team that a lot of people didn't think would even get this far as a four seed. Um, probably the most, what would you call that the most underranked four seed or, or. Oh, easily the most underseeded four seed in history. And, and you look at what they were able to do and, and they played TCU in that first game and it was an exciting game, especially with what transpired in the ninth inning. Uh, but you know, overall, uh, just to see him get that as far as they did, I, I think was just an accomplishment to, to what Oral Roberts had done all season long. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so they get to they get to the, you know, the first game and they're trailing early against TCU. They have to come back. They bring some of that magic that we saw, you know, all throughout the tournament. They bring some of that magic to Omaha. You know, in the first game, they're trailing five to two heading into the top of the ninth. They come back. Blaze Brothers comes in clutch with a three run home run, gives them the lead. They hold on, get the victory in that first game. And, you know, they very nearly knocked off Florida in that second game. Uh, You know, Florida was very fortunate to win that game. They were up five to one uh, for a lot of the game, squandered that lead, uh, had a really bad coaching mistake uh, from Kevin O'Sullivan, ran out of mound visits, lost track of it. They had to pull their All-American closer, Brandon Neely, put in a cold freshman in uh, Cade Fisher, who got them out of bases, loaded jams in the eighth and the ninth inning. I mean, very, very fortunate that the Gators were able to escape that one. We do need to uh, give a little bit of acknowledgement to Blaze Brothers for having the greatest name in the College World Series. I don't know that it gets much better than that. For sure. Uh, so in in as far as bracket one is concerned, we have Florida still alive going against TCU. TCU is really the one with all the pressure. They have got to win this game to force another game on uh, on Thursday just to get to uh, the College World Series. So uh, if, if you're Florida, how do you play this game? Well, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, as we're, as we're recording, this game is going on right now, just, uh, just to be completely transparent. But, you know, Florida starting Jack Caglione on the mound, this is a really important game for Florida, even though they have the advantage here and, you know, only need to win one of these last two games to get to the championship series. If they don't win this game – they're going to have to burn probably their ace, Brandon Sprout, on Thursday night, uh, which would obviously put them in a tougher spot going into the championship series. So if they can get this win against TCU, they're going to be in a great spot from a pitching perspective against either LSU or Wake Forest on the other side, which we'll get to. Yeah, so let's talk about bracket two. You've already spoiled a little bit of it, but I'm sure most of our <laughs> listeners, uh, our viewers, they know about this. Uh, we're looking at first-round matchup, Wake Forest, Stanford. Stanford, who beat Texas to get in. Uh, in that third game, that's super regional. Then you had LSU versus Tennessee, a matchup we've seen time and time again because LSU and Tennessee obviously play in the SEC. Um, were you surprised that LSU defeated Tennessee twice to knock them out of the tournament when they 
had to go into the quote unquote losers bracket. Yeah, so not in the first game. Uh, the the first game with Paul Skeens on the mound, I think everyone kind of expected that LSU would have the pretty strong advantage there. What they did uh, a Tuesday night last night as we're recording this. That I was a little bit less uh, expecting. You know, Tennessee still had one of their starting rotation pitchers available in Drew Beam, who had a very good game. Uh, maybe not quite as good as they would have hoped, but LSU got an absolutely insane, insane start from Nate Ackenhausen. Uh, had never gone more than 3.2 innings in a game this year. Middle reliever comes in, starts, goes six scoreless as they knock Tennessee off, eliminate them from the tournament. So obviously LSU kind of backs against the wall, playing against the best team in the country, got to win twice against Wake, but you know, they put themselves in position to have a chance. It's really all you can ask for. Yeah, and you you really have to like the offense with the what we expect to be the number one overall pick in the upcoming MLB amateur draft with Dylan Cruz. Uh, just the way that he played all year long, not just swinging for average or hitting for average, hitting for power. I mean, speed. The guy is a five-tool player um, who's probably going to be in the major leagues, in the majors, on the show sooner than later. Uh, not to be outdone by Paul Skeens, who, again, he's just shown time and time again um, what a great pitcher he is and, and what a steal for LSU to get in from Air Force. Uh, you know, you look at the, the other matchup, obviously, was, you know, Wake Forest, who pretty much have been number two all year long until the misstep late by LSU. Uh, but you look at that program, and they, they've got the number one pitching staff in the country. They've showed it. Uh, I think, you know, kind of what you were talking about, you know, with Florida, I think what they're hoping is they win, and then we, the Wake Forest and LSU have to burn their, burn their ace prior to playing them uh, in that best of three set that begins on June 24th. Uh, Tennessee, obviously – uh, they were able to outlast Stanford to eliminate them, and then LSU eliminated them in that game that we were just alluding to. Uh, Wake Forest, LSU, I, I, it's it's almost you know it's it's unfair I would say that we're not getting this as the final Wake Forest versus LSU because I think arguably they're probably the two best teams in the country, and I know Florida has something to say about it. Yeah, I mean you could definitely make that argument though. You know, look, I mean Wake has been the best team, most consistent team in the country all year. They have the best staff ERA in college baseball, and they match that with a lineup that's as good as Florida's or LSU's is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, Wake hasn't lost a game in the tournament. LSU's only lost one game, which was to Wake. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, Wake's been tested in Omaha a little bit more than we saw earlier on. Like, they had to come back to beat Stanford in the first game. They had to come back to beat LSU in the second game, too, but – this is just a really deep team. They've got a great pitching staff. You have to have – I mean, LSU did not have a great offensive game against them, and it's really tough, too. That's why, I mean, I, I, I'll give them the edge in these last two games against LSU because, I mean, LSU might get the edge if they can get to Thursday and get Paul Skeens back on the mound, but obviously on Wednesday looking at probably another bullpen game, it's going to be really tough. It will be really tough, but as we move on, we're going to get into our main segments of the show – uh, as we continue on with the College 12-pack here. We're going to preview the SEC. I know we are still, what is it, 71 days away, 80 days away? I can't even so keep much. up anymore. Uh, we're, we're getting closer to the season, so I wanted to dive in here, talk a little bit about the SEC as we break down all the Power 5 conferences. Uh, we're going to get to them each and every week, and obviously next week we're going to be wrapping up on the College World Series, and then we are full throttle into football season. 
let's talk a little bit about the SEC and who your offensive MVP is going to be for the upcoming season. I will be representing the SEC West and all of these topics while Tyler uh, is going back to his Florida roots and representing the SEC East. Looking at the offensive MVP, and I know you've got a good one, but I am going to I'm going with Quinshawn Judkins. Uh, you talk about a freshman who came onto the scene, seventeen hundred total yards. Uh, whether you're talking about running the football, uh, catching the ball out of the backfield, averaging almost six yards per touch, seventeen touchdowns. I mean these these are the numbers that we ex- we saw as as freshmen. You know where you talk about Herschel Walker uh, so many years ago. You talk about Adrian Peterson, you know, some of these great running backs, Ron Dane uh, out of Wisconsin. These are some big numbers from a guy who was supposed to be, you know, running back two. When you talk about Zach Evans, a former five-star running back who came over from TCU, everybody expected him to kind of be RB2. And really he showed he was the guy and really gave Ole Miss a, a, a big boost that they weren't expecting. It's exactly like you said. I mean, Judkins' numbers are impressive in and of themselves, not factoring in that he was splitting carries with Zach Evans for a lot of the year. Like, I mean, look, this is a Lane Kiffin offense that's pretty plug-and-play. If you're a talented young playmaker, you can come in and make an impact, and he showed that. Expect a big year from him. Okay, we've talked about the running back in the West. Who do you got coming out of the East as your offensive MVP this this coming season? Yeah, a guy that arguably you could say was probably the offensive MVP from MVP from the East last year, too, in Georgia's Brock Bowers, a tight end that just really, I think, embodies how much of a weapon the modern tight end can be uh, in the game of football these days. I mean, he's just been he's he's unreal, really. I, he finished just just shy of a thousand yards last year, had seven total touchdowns. That was actually a drop off from his production the year before. He even had three touchdowns on the ground this year. 24 touchdowns in two years. I mean, this is just unreal production. Like, this guy could could have been a first-round pick in the uh, NFL draft this past spring if he was eligible. Uh, fortunately for Georgia, he was not eligible. So he's coming back to sort of anchor an offense that isn't really loaded with playmakers aside from him, especially losing the other tight end they had in Darnell Washington. But, you know, with Georgia having a new quarterback coming in, likely Carson Beck, uh, the fact that he's having Brock Bowers come back will obviously be a massive boost and help him ease into that role, I think. Yeah, and really, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about Brock Bowers. I mean, his numbers are even more impressive as a freshman. Um, You know, kind of, I guess he was the year – he was Quinchon Judkins the year before. Uh, When you look at some of the numbers that he was putting up, like you said, the 14 touchdowns – 15.6 15.6 yards per touch uh, from a freshman. It's just unbelievable, especially not only was he a standout freshman in the SEC, but on the national championship team. Um, you know, that that's really, to me, what stands out the most. But let's stick in Athens. Let's talk about the defensive MVP uh, coming out this year. And, and you got a guy coming out of the secondary who you think is going to have a, a big second year uh, for the Bulldogs defense. For sure. So, I mean, not not really a surprise that we're sticking with Georgia here. They're the most talented team, definitely in this division, arguably in the entire conference pretty much every single year. But this is a Georgia defense that loses a lot of talent from last year. I mean, if you watched the NFL draft, you heard there were Georgia players getting their names called every five minutes. Most of them went to Philadelphia. But, you know, so so point, uh, point being, though, one of the few guys that they do have returning uh, that, that produced a lot last year is Malachi Starks, defensive back. 
played safety, started 14 of 15 games as a true freshman last year, former five-star recruit, came in and produced a lot for a defensive back. I mean, he had 68 tackle total tackles. That was third on the team, two picks, nine pass breakups. That's really good production from a true freshman defensive back in the SEC. Coming into a team that is, you know, maybe lacking a little bit in veteran leadership, this is a guy that I think is going to step up and be probably that next elite Georgia defensive back this year. You know, you can't go wrong uh, with Malachi Starks. He's a guy that I look at and I thought was going to be a really good player. Uh, but I'm going to stick on LSU. I know I went, uh, you know, talking about Ole Miss on the offensive side. Defensively, I'm talking about another freshman who kind of really just took off. Uh, Harold Perkins, the guy you're very familiar with covering for him, uh, covering him at the uh, LSU Tigers. Why would you look at 72 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, four forced fumbles. I mean, go back to the – if you want to know his impact, go back to the Arkansas game. He single-handedly won that football game uh, for an offense that was struggling to score in that game. Uh, he created opportunity. Uh, I, and I'm sure K.J. Jefferson is still seeing Harold Perkins uh, in his dreams. And, and he, you know, he's a guy that you've got to pay attention to. Um, and, I, you know, I think a lot of teams, you know, it's a copycat league. I think teams are, across the league are looking, who can be our standout freshman linebacker? Uh, coming in, uh, you know, the University of Texas has one of those, and you'll be seeing him in the SEC next season, after this upcoming season. But really, when you look at defensive players in the SEC West, it start, it begins and ends with Harold Perkins. Yeah, Harold Perkins is a really special talent, man. I mean, just one of those guys that, like, you're just watching him and you know that this is a guy that just does not come around very often. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that Arkansas game because he did single-handedly win that Arkansas game for LSU, kept their playoff hopes alive, at least for the time being. And coming into this year, I think everyone pretty much expects he's going to take a leap into being one of the best defensive players in college football. You know, kind of got used mostly as an edge rusher last season. Uh, it was a bit rough around the edges uh, in terms of like polish, but just an athlete that you don't want to keep off the field. I think this year it sounds like they're transitioning him more into an off-ball linebacker role with guys like Micah Baskerville and Mike Jones leaving. So it'll be really interesting to see how we adjust to that because, I mean, if he can improve, he's a great pass rusher. If he can improve in coverage and as a run fitter, man, this guy is going to be a top five top five pick, if not higher, uh, in 2025. Uh, he could be the next Micah Parsons. Uh, yeah, We talk about a guy who can do it all. Um, but, again, Harold Bergen's got to – polish in those areas um it's still hard to believe that texas a&m let that guy get away uh especially with uh, everybody that they were bringing in in that class hey let's get into our breakout performance this year i'm gonna stay in baton rouge a guy that i was really high on injured himself on what was it the first play of the game talking about mason smith first game of the season tears his acl uh but you look at what he did the year before as a freshman yeah, he had some injury concerns that year as well. But 19 tackles, five tackles for loss, four sacks, you know, playing at that interior defensive tackle position, uh, you know, with him and Perkins, they got a really young core of guys who can really uh, make a difference on this LSU defense. Uh, so for me, uh, Mason Smith, big number zero in the middle of that defense. He's a guy that I feel like you've got to watch this year. Absolutely. I think all of us on the LSU beat were really expecting that he was going to, you know, have, have that breakout season last year. Uh, obviously didn't work out, had a really unfortunate break. He, uh, he tore his ACL. It was non-contact. He was celebrating a, a stop on the first drive of the game or first first drive of the season last year. So that was really unfortunate. But, you know, the guy that 
replaced him. Makai Wingo was an all-SEC player last year, and now they're pairing them up together. This is going to be a really nasty interior for LSU's defensive line this year. I just feel like the middle of that defense, you know, is just going to be nasty completely when you when yeah. you talk about just everybody who's going to be playing on that side of the ball. And that's why people are excited down at Baton Rouge, uh, not just about their women's basketball with their gymnastics, their baseball, their football. Uh, there's a lot of excitement there. All right, so let's go. Let's go to the SECs. Who do you have as a breakout performer this year? Yeah, so this is a, this is a newcomer to the league. Uh, I've got Devin Leary, the quarterback from Kentucky. So transfers in this offseason from NC State, a guy who in 2021 bursts onto the scene, has a phenomenal season, has I think like 35 touchdowns to five picks. He was really good. Last year he only plays in six games, uh, battles injuries, especially through the second half of the year. So a bit of a disappointing campaign, but he joins a Kentucky team. And if he's, I mean, obviously the injuries have plagued him throughout his career, not just last season. So that will be a concern, but if he's healthy this year, man, they're going to be really good. I think, uh, you know, we saw, I think Will Levis sort of regressed a little bit, a little bit last year. They've changed offensive coordinators. They brought Liam Cohen back in from the Rams, the guy who I think sort of engineered the breakout season uh, with Levis in 2021 in the first place. Cohen's coming back and work with Leary and I just think this is a really good fit, man. I, it was a big pickup by Kentucky to land one of the top portal options, and I think it's going to work out really well if he's healthy. Yeah, and and really in a division that's full of you know opportunity with you know Georgia essentially having a new offense. Um, you talk about you know more, no more Stetson Bennett. Um, they're having to change quarterbacks, so there's going to be opportunity. But Devin Leary's a guy who I think could come in. Like you talked about, he threw for over 3,400 yards two years ago. Uh, you talk about the 35 and 5 touchdown to interception ratio, eight yards per attempt. Uh, and he's an accurate quarterback yet, completing almost 66% of his passes. Uh, I think it's a great pick. I'm going to go with my biggest question mark now, Tyler, as we, as we dive into uh, more SEC talk here. I'm looking at Mississippi State's really my biggest question mark coming out of the West. They're a team who – a lot of times is viewed as like that sixth or seventh team coming out of the West. Uh, obviously, the loss of Mike Leach is massive. You know, Zach Garnett is going to take over the program. He's brought in Kevin Barbe from Appalachian State uh, to run that offense. So they're not – they have the air raid personnel, but they're going to be more of a zone rushing team. That's kind of what Barbe likes to do and kind of build the passing game off of that. But as we know, when you have a team that has personnel packages for the air raid, um, it can be difficult to kind of change the philosophy. So, it, you know, it's going to have to be a slow going thing. But so it's, for me, it's I'm not worried about the defense, so to speak, because I think Arnett does a really good job on that side of the ball. Uh, it, it's how that offense is going to play this year. It um, really, yeah, they have Will Rogers. They have a lot of these guys back, but they also lost a lot of their wide receivers. Uh, well, to the SEC East over there uh, in Athens. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's worth saying, just worth pointing out that when Zach Arnett took this job, I mean, that's a really tough situation to have to walk into. It was late in the cycle. You know, obviously, Mike Leach tragically passed away. No one wants to see anything like that. Um, I think he deserves a lot of, I think, leeway in this year one because of that, because of the situation he inherited. 
but it will be really interesting to see because, you know, obviously Zach Arnett, defensive guy, not an Air Force, uh, Air Force, not an air raid acolyte, uh, not like a Mike Leach tree offensive guy. So I think, like you said, he's probably going to try to move away from that. Whether they have the personnel to do that this year, I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see what sort of hybridized offense we see this year from them. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you're right there. So where are we going as your biggest question mark heading into the season in the SEC East? Yeah, so we're heading to Gainesville. Uh, we're talking about my team, the Florida Gators. And look, I, Billy Napier comes in. He inherited a team that, you know, Dan Mullen had a good record all in all in, in Gainesville, but things had really gotten bad at the end, especially from a recruiting perspective. He did not inherit a team in a very good position from a talent perspective. And credit to Billy Napier, he set the standards. Like He, he did a good job of narrative setting right off the bat. He said this is going to take time, this rebuild. You know, it's going to take time to put the infrastructure in place to – be operating from a talent acquisition standpoint, the way the Georges of the world are. So I think, uh, you know, he, he sort of primed the fan base for, for the, the up and down year one that we saw, whether or not they were prepared for it, but it wasn't a good year one. I mean, there's no escaping that, you know, they, they upset Utah the first week and that's really all that, all the, all the, all good that goes for them. You know, they, they lose a bad game to Vandy late in the year, just some tough losses. And coming into this season, there's a lot of question marks, man. Like, you're bringing in a transfer quarterback and Graham Mertz who, you know, he's heading into a situation where he'll have probably more offensive talent than he has in the past at Wisconsin. But this is a guy that started a lot of games. Most of it has not been very good. Uh, talented guy, former five-star, but never really lived up to that after his first start at Wisconsin. So he gets a talented running back room. You know, he's one of the best in the country last year. We'll see if it's able to pick up the pace with a, a top off, uh, top NFL draft pick and offensive guard uh, Cyrus Torrance. But I just have a lot of questions and a lot of it just circles back to the defense. You know, this was a legitimately bad defense last year. You've got a new coordinator, but not really a lot of new pieces. You've got a couple transfers here and there, but you know, it's really going to, this new coordinator is really going to have to, you know, get a lot more out of this uh, relatively similar group than he got last year. So just all of this is to say, man, like, they need to take a step forward this year because the recruiting trajectory is good for the 2024 class. But if you have another year where you're sniffing sub 500, can you keep that class together? It'll be a big question. I mean, it, time will tell, but we'll see. Yeah, you really look at what's gone on, you know, as far as on the field, resetting the expectations right off the bat with that win over Utah. Um, we could talk about the quarterback situation on the field and off. Uh, if you look at who they lost in the offseason, uh, you know, the recruiting snafu, uh, you know, seeing players reclassify and flip to other schools. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there that they really got to get right. And I think, you know, what I will say is people have got to be patient with Billy Napier, uh, you know, because what he inherited uh, coming in after Dan Mullen wasn't exactly uh, an ideal situation for him. Uh, but let's get into pressure. Uh, we Billy Napier probably will feel some pressure, uh, but maybe not to the likes of this guy that you're pointing to. Uh, who do you have as your under pressure head coach going into this season? Yeah, so I've got Josh Heupel from Tennessee. And when I say pressure here, I don't mean necessarily pressure in the traditional sense. Like, I don't think Heupel is going to be, like, on the hot seat this year or anything like that right. uh, if it doesn't, you know, if they underachieve a little bit. But when I say pressure, I guess I'm more just interested, like, what is this team going to be under Heupel when it really gets moving? I mean, we saw that this past season there, obviously, when it's all plugged in, a great offensive team. And I think a lot of us 
seem, you know, we kind of are under the impression that this is a pretty plug and play offense. Uh, you know, if you've got good receiver talent, the, you know, just the scheme, it works in college. It's just really hard to defend against. And most teams don't have the speed to keep up with it. We'll find out if that's plug and play this year, though, because they're losing a lot. They lose Cedric Tillman. They lose Jalen Hyatt. They lose their quarterback in Hendon Hooker. But they replace him with a guy in Joe Milton who has a big, strong arm. They bring back Brew McCoy. So there's pieces here. I think we're going to find out just how plug and play the offense really is. So, you know, like I said, it's not that he's under pressure of getting fired, but I think they need to make a statement this year because the SEC East is going away after this year. You're going to be on an even playing field with Alabama, with Georgia, with maybe Florida if they get it right under Billy Napier, with LSU. Like, where does Tennessee stand in that mix? Are they just going to be a very consistent program or are they going to be a contending program? I think we're going to find out a lot lot about that this year. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at the job that he did year one coming in and what he did in year two. And what does he do in year three? Is there a step back? Is there a step forward? For me, I'm going to go with Jimbo Fisher. And when people hear me talk about Jimbo, obviously when anybody talks about Jimbo, uh, they want to bring up that big buyout, right? I'm not really going to talk about pressure for Jimbo in terms of getting fired because I think that buyout keeps him from getting fired. Uh, my pressure here is going to be on the recruiting trail and obviously getting some success on the field. You look at overall, uh, when you look at his overall numbers, 112 and 44, eight and two in bowl games, great numbers. That's a head coach you're not really worried about. But at Texas A&M, he's only 39 and 21, but he has won three bowl games. That's good. But at FSU, he had, he had six seasons of 10 or more wins. Obviously, he won the national championship. And in a three-year run, he was 39-3 and three at FSU. Uh, so he was doing fantastic before he came to A&M. Now, here's where the pressure comes in. Texas and Oklahoma are coming in next year. That's where the pressure is. Because now, before his recruiting pitch was, hey, if you come play with me, you're the only – I have the only school in Texas in the Lone Star State uh, that's going to be on SEC television. Everybody's going to be tuning in to watch. Well, guess what? Now Oklahoma and Texas can say the same thing. Oklahoma will be like, well, you will be on SEC television when we play Texas in Dallas, Texas. Obviously, the Longhorns are going to play a good amount of games in Texas as well. So now that pitch is gone. So I think he is under immense pressure to win this year to kind of get that edge on the recruiting trails uh, against Texas now that – the Longhorns are coming to the SEC starting in 2024. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head there. I think the pressure doesn't look like he's in danger of getting fired because, like you said, the buyout number probably makes that prohibitive. The pressure more is, you know, what happens if he reaches lame duck status and there's nothing they can really do about it? You know, how, how bad could this thing really get, I guess, is the question. I think if it gets really bad, somebody will come up with the money. <sighs> That's a lot of money, man. That is a lot of money. Okay, let's get into our next topic. We're talking who needs a winning season. Out in the SEC West, I think it's the Arkansas Razorbacks who need a win. They have got Rocket Sanders coming back. They have K.J. Jefferson. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, that nightmare of a game at LSU. Uh, you know, they were 9-4 and four a season ago, 4-4 four and four in SEC play. This last year they were only 7-6, and six, dropped to 3-5. and five. Uh, You know, with Sam Pittman – For me, I think, you know, is he in danger of the hot seat or anything? No, I don't think so, especially when you look at what he took over this Arkansas program and where they are now. I just think as we move into the divisionless SEC, he needs to have a winning season heading into 2024. Yeah, totally agree. Sam Pittman – 
fine probably from a job perspective. Like I, I wouldn't be worried about that at all. But I think it's interesting how the narrative about him shifted a little bit this past season. I think going into 2022, it was like, wow, look at this guy, you know, a guy that higher people questioned at the time, you know, offensive line coach, not really no head coaching experience, but everyone was like, wow, this guy's really overachieving at Arkansas. And then I think this past year it was like, well, hold on, man. Like he's got a really good running back. He's got a good quarterback in KJ Jefferson. Maybe he's underachieving a little bit. So yeah, I think this is a big year for him to kind of show which of these past two years is more going to be the team that he's putting on the field year in and year out. Cause again, you bring a lot of those guys back, like you said. But then you have a guy like Eli Drinkwitz out in Columbia, uh, Missouri, not South Carolina. Uh, what's your thought on Eli heading into this season? Uh, my thought is he desperately needs a winning season because he literally doesn't have one yet. I mean, the dude is 17 and 19 uh, heading into year five, I think. Yeah. Year five your four or five. So he, I mean, he, he needs things, right. I mean, they, they have not been good the last two seasons and I, I really don't know how to evaluate him as a head coach. I think it's tough because his only head coaching experience before he got to Columbia was one season at app state where he went 12 and one, but like of any of all the G five programs in the country app is probably the easiest to have success as a you know new head coach coming in because they've were so consistent under Scott Satterfield who he replaced I don't know if you can give him that much credit for that. And it's been pretty middling since he got to Missouri. And there's not really a reason to think he's going to like take some big leap this year. I mean, they've got a three-way quarterback race between last year's starter and Brady Cook, who who is fine, not great. He was fine. They've got a Miami transfer and Jake Garcia, who didn't play a lot last year. And then former blue chip recruit didn't, uh, and Sam Horn, who barely played at all as a true freshman. I don't know if any of those guys are the savior. This was a solid defense last year. Not a great defense, but a solid one. They've had some changes in and out with the transfer portal, but, you know, a lot of similarities there. I just – I don't know. I don't see any reason to think this team's going to take a leap, and I think he really needs to. I mean, I I don't think – put it this way. If he goes like seven and five or worse this year, I think he's in serious jeopardy of losing his job. So – I, I think so. I think they need eight wins. He needs Luther Burton to have a big season, obviously after losing Dominic Lovett uh, to Georgia. He's going to have a lot of problems. I think he needs a winning season. He needs to be known more than for just the guy who brought a lightsaber to a postgame uh, news conference. <laughs> Let's dive in here. Uh, surprise teams. Um, and I'm talking about the guy that's taken over for Eli Drinkwitz's old buddy, uh, Brian Harson. Uh, let's talk about the Auburn Tigers. Hugh Breeze coming back after spending five seasons at Liberty. This was interesting. I, I feel like this was a move that everybody expected, so nobody was surprised when Hugh Breeze was hired as the Auburn football head coach. Uh, but they're, they're a team that I think can make some moves, especially uh, with just how teams perform or players perform. Uh, under Hugh Freeze, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you talk about Malik uh, several years ago. He leaves Hunter or he leaves uh, he leaves Auburn, goes to Liberty, uh, you know, and then he becomes a, what, a third round pick, second round pick in the NFL. Uh, you know, and, and then you look now at Peyton Thorne. Um, you look at some of the guys that he has, Caleb Burton transferring in uh, from Ohio State. So they've got some talent on that side of the ball. Uh, we don't really know with the situation that's going on with Jarquez Hunter and his suspension, uh, but they have Brian Batty. Uh, they have a lot of good players on the opposite side of the ball. So this is a team that I think, you know, uh, 
that could really make some moves just based on what they can do on offense because I think they have a pretty good defense heading into this year. Yeah, I, I'm hesitant to give Hugh Freeze credit for just about anything, but mm-hmm. you know the, the man the man can recruit pretty well. The man can coach offense. We know those things are pretty true. So yeah, I think you know he'll probably have some success at Auburn. I think I don't know if he'll. I don't think they're going to be like back to competing in the West this year, but I think you'll probably see some semblance of a step forward for them. And I think that the key here when you're looking at Auburn is that I don't think they were as bad from a talent perspective under Brian Harson as the results showed. Like, I think there was more talent on those rosters. So uh, yeah, I think I, I could, I could agree with that. that there'll be a surprise team out of the West this year. Maybe not in the sense that, you know, they're going to upset anyone too big, but I think they'll be more competitive in a lot of games than people expect. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, for sure. That's really when you look at this team, that's that's kind of where I'm – and I'm like you. I don't want to give Hugh Freeze credit for anything, uh, especially for the type of person that he is off the field, despite what he tries to portray. Uh, I just think from an offensive standpoint, I think, yeah, like you said, this team was talented, uh, but Brian Harson didn't know how to get much of anything out of him. Uh, so let's look on the East, though. Uh, who do you have as kind of your surprise team – uh, coming out of the East after last season? Yeah, probably the surprise team from the East last fall. Uh, and I think going to surprise again this year, maybe in a little bit different of a way, is Vanderbilt. You know, it's easy to forget about Vanderbilt, especially with the SEC, you know, set to expand, adding Texas and Oklahoma. This is a team that's just going to get further lost in the shuffle in all likelihood. But give Clark Lee a lot of credit, man. Uh, you know, this is a really hard job. It's only going to get harder. And it hasn't been immediate results for him, but he's really slowly but surely building at least a competitive program in Nashville, which is about as much as you can ask for there. You know, they go two and 10 year one, they go five and seven last year, get really close to a bowl game or in the, have a chance to make it to a bowl game last week of the year against Tennessee obviously does not work out, but they win two big games down the stretch. They upset Kentucky and Florida. I mean, this is a team that just was competent last year. There was a, there was a a level of competency that wasn't there in 2021. I mean, this team lost Clark Lee's debut 23 to three to an FCS team in East Tennessee. They dominated all the teams. They were better than last year and they even beat a couple. They weren't better than. So I think this is a team that's set to go to a bowl game this year. I mean, I'm not, again, probably not going to make any noise in the East, but yeah, could definitely upset a team like a Florida or a South Carolina or something like that. Yeah, you really look at it. It was a little bit of a surprise starting out the season when you looked at uh, they dropped 63 points on Hawaii. Not to say that Hawaii was this big, massive, you know, part of their schedule, but it was still a surprise to see that they can do that. Uh, My big question is with Mike Wright now leaving, how does that offense look under A.J. Swan, uh, you know, as the primary guy? But, yeah, they're a team that I really like coming out of the East. Uh, and, and it would be nice to see them get back to a bowl game, something they haven't done uh, since James Franklin was there uh, when he was getting winning seasons and getting them to bowl games. All right, so let's let's stay on the East. Let's go with your dark horse team. Uh, who do you think could make a run towards the end of the season uh, as they try to unseat the Georgia Bulldogs uh, as the SEC East uh, champions? Yes, it's a little tough to find a dark horse in the East just because I think we both are pretty heavily in agreement that Georgia's far and away the best team in the East coming into this season. But for me, I'm going to go with the team that I think a lot of people had as a dark horse last year, but maybe we're like a year early on that is in South Carolina. You know, 
I think that Shane Beamer is doing a really good job, man. He's built a good staff. They're recruiting at a high level, much higher level than they had been under the prior staffs. I like what he's building. I, you know, whether we'll see them take a massive leap this year, I don't know. But they ended the year with a couple, you know, they beat uh, top 10 teams in Tennessee and to Tennessee's playoff chances. They beat Clemson, ended the seven-year uh, losing streak or seven-game losing streak to their biggest rival. I mean, there is momentum on their side. I think the biggest question is regarding Spencer Rattler. I mean, he came in last year. I think people expected him to be better than he was for most of the year. He really had his share of struggles. But he also had moments where he looked fantastic. I mean, he threw six touchdowns in the win over Tennessee, and that really inflated his stats for the season. So good for him for that one. But, like, I mean, if he can be more consistent this year, he's got one of the best receivers in the entire SEC, if not the entire country, in Juice Wells. They've got they've got players. This defense needs to get better, though, because it was not that good last year. So, you know, I don't think that they are poised to beat Georgia right now. Like, I'll just say that right now. But I, I do think – I'm more interested in them than I think Tennessee because I feel like we saw what Tennessee at full strength can do against Georgia and it wasn't that good. Yeah, no, I, you know, I look at this team, uh, Spencer Rattler, somebody that I watched in Oklahoma, a guy I thought was going to do well. I thought he needed a change of scenery. I think it took him a little bit to kind of get acclimated maybe to the offense, maybe just a little more advanced than what he had under Lincoln Riley uh, with that air raid offense took him some time, but I thought he did well. The big question for me is losing Austin Stogner. He's going back to Oklahoma. How does that impact him? Jaheim Bell, uh, what do they do with Michael Harbour? Are they going to play him defensively, offensively? Kind of a question I had about Jatavion Sanders at Texas a year ago. How do they play him, a guy who can play both sides of the ball? But I really like that pick uh, in the East. I really like what, you know, what Beamer's doing, and he's got his own brand of Beamer ball. Um, that, that seems really – be working in the SEC East. We'll see how well it, it looks this year. Uh, but for me, I'm going with Ole Miss. Uh, when you look at what, you know, Lane Kippen is a guy that we constantly, you know, harp on, you know, what he's doing. Uh, the the self-proclaimed, you know, transfer king. Uh, he did it again this year when he went and got, you know, he went into LSU, got a, a quarterback who whose father played there. Uh, when you're talking about Walker Howard. Um, he went to Oklahoma State, and he got Spencer Sanders uh, to come compete with Jackson Dart. Uh, obviously, he has Quinshawn Judkins, who we talked about a little bit earlier. He went to Louisiana Tech, got Trey Harris, and arguably one of the best wide receivers in the transfer portal in Zakari uh, Franklin out of UTSA, a guy who he was a two-star recruit out of high school. He turned himself into a four-star transfer. The last two years, 175 receptions, over 2,100 yards, getting 12.4 yards per reception with 27 touchdowns. I mean, the, the, he had to find a way to replace all of that production that he lost uh, through the NFL draft. I, I think he did it, uh, but now it's time for Lane Kippen to go out there and prove it, uh, that he can play with the big boys because obviously uh, it, it really looked like to me that Brian Kelly kind of overstepped him um, as kind of the, the next guy, who the guy who can challenge Nick Saban. Uh, Brian Kelly, not Lane Kiffin. So I think he needs a big season. And looking at that offense, I think they have a shot. Yeah, last season for Ole Miss kind of looked like it was maybe going to be that year where they would have a chance with Alabama being down and LSU still rebuilding. But 
I think this is another talented team this year, but like you said, can they, can they play with the big boys? I mean, they, they haven't been great when they've had to play against the better teams in the SEC under, under Lane Kiffin. And I think similarly to South Carolina, though, I do think this Ole Miss team is more talented than South Carolina. I think the question is just, can, you know, proving that you can take down a team that's, you know, a nationally relevant, nationally relevant, nationally competitive team. They haven't really been able to do that yet. Yeah, that that's the tough thing for me. And I know, obviously, I'm a tech guy. We're in the tech hat. I got to see Ole Miss up up close and personal last season. I can tell you, Jackson Dart is not it. So if he's the quarterback, I don't think they can win. Spencer Sanders is very similar to him, and they that they turned the football over. I think the wild card is 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 Howard. Will they let him play? That's my big question. Will they let Walker Howard get on the field and play? Uh, but as far as talking about LSU. That's the team that I'm going with in my SEC title game. Coming out of the West, I have too many questions about Alabama uh, when it comes to the quarterback. Who's going to play? And none of those guys really separated themselves in spring ball. And truth be told, none of them really put the fear. Uh, when when I look at you know who can challenge who uh, in the SEC, I still think LSU with Jaden Daniels, uh, with those uh, the emergence uh, of Malik Neighbors last year, uh, and, and he talked about Mason Thomas and what he was able to do from the tight end position. Offensively, we know what they are. Defensively, we've talked about them, whether you've talked about the interior linebackers uh, on that back end of that defense. This is a team that I think, uh, you know, offensively, defensively is stacked, and that's why I think LSU, uh, they're just a more proven team right now with their quarterback situation. So I'm going to lean on the veteran quarterback who who really stole the show last year in Baton Rouge. I, I mean, yeah, I fully agree with everything that you just said. Uh, and I'm glad to see that, you know, the movement is growing, the movement of, uh, you know, LSU preseason SEC West favorite. I, I fully agree. I think they're a much more complete team than Alabama right now. They return their starting quarterback, which Alabama doesn't do. They have a loaded running back room. They've got very talented receivers led by Malik neighbors. They've got an offensive line that was, you know, starting two true freshmen at the tackle spots last season and really overachieved. And the defense returns a lot. And at positions where it doesn't, they add one of the best transfer portal classes in the entire country. I mean, yeah, they're, they're the better. I think they're the better team than, uh, than Alabama is right now. And I, I'd also pick them to repeat out of the West. Um, and looking at the other division, look, I won't, I won't say too much about this. I've already waxed poetically about the Georgia Bulldogs, but I think we're both in agreement here. You know, maybe Tennessee can can get something going. Maybe Joe Milton can can elevate that team to another level. Maybe South Carolina surprises and Spencer Rattler takes a, a leap back to, you know, Heisman contention like we saw earlier in his career. Barring something like that happening, I don't think this Florida team is in a position to compete with Georgia year one, uh, year two under Billy Napier. I mean, it's – it really is Georgia's division to lose. And it, it says so much about the consistency with which Kirby recruits that in a year where he can lose, you know, his multi-year starting quarterback in Setson Bennett, all those defensive starters to the NFL, you know, Darnell Washington, a game-changing tight end, that you can do all that and still have far and away the least questions of anyone in the division. I mean, that <laughs> speaks for itself. It does speak for itself, and, and you're right. There's really not anything I can say that we haven't already said about Georgia or Tennessee. I, I really think it comes down to Georgia or Tennessee, but perhaps Devin Leary is the thing that Kentucky needs to kind of get into the conversation. Uh, but until they start beating Georgia uh, consistently, uh, I, or even being close to him uh, in, in the SEC East, I, I really can't 
Um, you know, with Florida, they have their own questions. Vanderbilt, we've talked about. It's going to come down to, I think, a two-team race. And unfortunately, I just don't think that Tennessee can compete uh, with the likes of Georgia just yet, even with a new quarterback. All right, so in our final segment, we're going to talk about the college football playoffs. How many teams are coming out of our divisions to go to the college football playoffs this upcoming year? Uh, I'll start in the West. I'm going to say zero. Uh, while I do think LSU is a great team, I think they're a, a New Year's Six bowl game team. I think they get into the, you know, the playing on New Year's. Uh, but for me, when I look at them, I just don't see it. Uh, for you get multiple teams coming out, and uh, you talk about the West and the East, and, and if there's an SEC champion and somebody else, you've got to have the other divisions fall on their face. And when and we while we haven't previewed them yet, we, when you look around at the others, it's going to be tough when you look at the Big 12, when you look at the Big 10, who had two teams in last year. When you look at the Pac-12, who looks like they could be on the rise. The ACC could be on the rise. It's going to be tough, and that, and that for me is why I think while LSU could be a team in the New Year's Six, I don't see them in the college football playoffs this year. Yeah, I think you're going to see a little too much attrition within the SEC West this season, I think, for that to happen. I think Alabama and LSU are probably going to beat each other up a little bit. You know, both have tough non-conference games uh, earlier in the year. LSU's got Florida State. Bama's got Texas. I think both those games are pretty much toss-ups. And then, you know, the Alabama-LSU game is going to be tough. Both teams play Ole Miss. Both teams play Arkansas. Like, there's enough tough games here that I'm not sure that – either of them gets to Atlanta with one loss or less and ends the year with a victory over Georgia staying with one loss or less. Like that just doesn't seem very likely to me. It's going to be tough. And and like you, I have one, I have Georgia. Uh, And then obviously we're going to dive into more of these conferences in the coming weeks. Uh, But that's going to do it for this episode of the college 12 pack next week. Tyler and myself, we're going to wrap up the college world series. We're going to get into a new division uh, a new conference uh, as we continue to preview the Power Five conferences. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week, and we will catch you next week.